and welcome to this week's episode from A Lancashire Lass with me, Lucy Baxter. Today I'm excited to be joined by Annabelle Tiffin, who is one of the main presenters on BBC Northwest Tonight. As this is the regional news we watch in Lancashire, I thought it'd be really interesting to chat to Annabelle about her journey to become presenter here and the many other things that she does. So how are you today, Annabelle? I'm good, yeah. It's nice to speak to you. How are you? I'm good, yeah. I think we're all just getting on with everything. <laughs> um, we are. We're all longing for this to be this to be over, aren't we? Not far now, I'm sure. Yeah, we can see the light. We can see it. Yeah. So I wanted to ask, first of all, how it's been for you in the pandemic, working on Northwest Tonight, what's changed and, and things like that? Well, I suppose... If you were lucky, it wasn't so bad that first lockdown because it was sunny and everything. Um, for us, then, we were still working. So I didn't, it, it wasn't massively different my everyday life. Um, and it was, a, wasn't even that different in the beginning because I, we kind of carried on as normal, the BBC, and we, you know, we had the same amount of people in the office and we, yeah, just carried on. But then very gradually, I think everybody just began to saw how serious it was. So suddenly um, we couldn't go out and do go physically out as much as we did before. And uh, there had to be a good reason. You suddenly couldn't go into people's homes and interview them anymore, which is something we've always done. So, again, it wasn't too bad because the weather was nice. Um, but as winters come in, that got a bit harder. So you were always doing interviews outside in the cold with a long pole between you with, with the microphone on the ends um, and in the office it has massively changed because we now wear masks as we walk around we have our temperature taken every time we go into media city uh, there aren't as many of us in the office anymore you don't come in unless you have to so reporters might be deployed straight from home as opposed to coming into the office first they might try and edit out on the road that kind of thing so it has been different and then obviously the content is is hugely different because it's the only story in town, isn't it, unfortunately? So, yeah, we just do. Uh, our, our whole content has changed. And certainly at the beginning, the only story we would do was COVID stories. We wouldn't even do any other stories. We do now because I think we've realised that people need a bit of uh, light as well. And while it's very important to cover everything to do with coronavirus, you also do need to show that there's something else going on and that people are doing wonderful things. Uh, so, yeah, it's changed. It's changed a lot. I mean, it's changed massively. It's changed for all of us. And I think we're all looking forward to just being able to <laughs> get back to how to how it was before, because um, as a journalist, you know, it's it's hard. It's hard doing that that same that same story. And actually, some of the stories are so difficult as well. You know, they're really hard to talk about and you're doing them all the time. And but we, we keep our fingers crossed, don't we, that. We're nearing the end. And I guess the way that you're producing and creating the stories has to be done differently, like you said, but the edits and creating the packages has to be, there has to be a lot more thought potentially into it in terms of how you can still make the package to the standard that the BBC does, but in a way where the interviews are maybe on Zoom or, or mm. the packages create like film differently. Yeah. Well, the Zoom is the big thing. 
and we're talking now on Zoom, aren't we? But um, yeah, Zoom is the, is the really big thing. So a lot of the interviews that we do from the studio, well, not a lot, all of the interviews we do from the studio are done via Zoom or FaceTime. Um, we've had the occasionally people come in. If they do, obviously they have to sit much further away uh, along the sofa uh, and we don't have otherwise we don't have any guests in so that that's a strange thing because we're used to having well you came onto the sofa didn't you and chatted yeah. to me and Roger and that was lovely but we would just wouldn't allow that now there has to be a really good reason for you to come in so generally it is all done on zoom and uh, as far as the quality is concerned I think that inevitably it's just not going to be as good you know we you, zoom calls are not always as lovely and crystal clear as this one is they we did one the other day and, and the lady's uh, my, uh, camera was not working properly so she was completely green now we would never have considered putting anything out that wasn't broadcast quality before as it happens we didn't put it out but that was more for we didn't have room in the program but um we would have probably put it out because we think the pub the public are a lot more used to um crackly zooms and things that break up a little bit but it's not what we would want and i really hope that we don't stay with that i think they're useful and they're great to be able to get people that perhaps wouldn't normally be available to you um, at such short notice. But I don't think I, I don't think anything matches being able to speak to people face to face. It, it makes such a difference to to what you can get as well out of the interview. Yeah. And do you think that you'll all go back to sort of Media City full time again, or do you think there'll be an element of sort of the remote the remote working throughout now? Well, everyone at Northwest tonight um, is carrying on as normal. You know, as I said, some people will be deployed from home, but they're still essentially at some point coming into Media City. Media City itself is a very different place. It's weird. I mean, it's it's empty, really. And it's always been such a buzzing place. It's always been really fun to work in. Um, but there are whole floors that are empty because people are working, like you say, from home remotely because they can. Um, but we can't you know we can't work so Roger and I have had to come in every time we want to present we come in we haven't presented from our home and uh, so we are all in as normal it's just that we might um not well Roger and I are in as often as normal but um yeah other people might not have to come into the office as often and all people like our our camera operators um out on the road they don't come in anymore very often so it's a real shame you just don't see people that you're used to seeing um but I re I hope it will go back to normal I really do hope it will go back to normal because Media City is a, a huge place and it's a very exciting place and so I really hope that it it all gets back to how it was and people gradually come back there won't be a need for everyone to come back I suppose and we've learned that haven't we that you can work remotely mm. and um that's good in many ways we don't want the roads blocked again and all that but um I, I think there's nothing like coming into an office and having that interaction I'd be rubbish working from home I wouldn't be able to do it I'd end up watching neighbours or something all day instead of working <laughs> yeah and like when a story breaks or when something's happening when you're all in the the newsrooms and like the office I can imagine like the atmosphere has such a buzz to it that you're all like oh can I get that interview get that and you're all sort of working together whereas remotely there won't be the same sort of collective buzz for the story no exactly yeah it's there may be fewer of us in but we're still all as you know we, yeah 
we're still a team and um yeah if anything happens it's much more exciting to all be there together and work together you just have to it's it's not possible in news to do it any other way you have to be there because well we're physically on air but but radio our radio guys as well they're all in as well um it's it's more people um you know, like that make documentaries and children's, uh, a lot of the um, learning, BBC learning, it's people like that that have been able to work from home. But anything to do with news, Five Live, Breakfast, Sports, they've all been in as, as normal because, yeah, we just yeah we just have to. And, you know, I, we want it that way as well. We're, we're, we're a great team at Northwest tonight. We really are. And it, it, we've got each other through this because it has, you know, it's difficult. It's been yeah. a difficult time and it's come as a time, you know, where there's been a lot of cuts as well at the BBC. And a lot of our colleagues have left. Um, so it's, we really have kind of uh, clung onto each other a bit. That sounds a bit dramatic, but um, some of the people that work there have worked there for 30 odd years and now they've gone. So it does feel a little bit, it's very sad each time somebody's gone. So we've been quite glad to all be together to, <clears throat> you know, go through that. <laughs> yeah. And, and you've all got sort of different personalities. And I'm thinking more of sort of, Owain who's joined the team and how mm -hmm. um enthusiastic he is and I think like like when he made that drumming go viral of the, tune, the BBC news theme and I think you can see that you're such a team on air as well you can really see that you all even though you're yeah. away and you're not physically next to each other you can see that you're all get on as a team um, oh yeah Owain is just a brilliant he's such a great addition to that program he's he's slotted in so well and actually he did work from home he was one of the ones that could work from home because he's so clever he could do all his weather graphics from home and so he used to record it in his in his house with the big monkey tree that became a bit of a feature um but he's recently moved to the region which is brilliant so he's coming he's in the office now and um, we get on so well he is he's just he's so funny he's very very funny he's witty um he's a lovely guy I think we got kind of close when we did the um push for Pudsey or was it the pull for Pudsey <laughs> I forget now back in oh 2019 it would have been mm -hmm. so he hadn't even been here with us very long but we did a week long of programs where we pushed a Pudsey chair sofa thing around the region and um oh he was he was just brilliant we had to spend all that time together and we did have a real laugh so he is great and we needed that because once we uh you know diane oxbury died and she had been well the heart of that program so it was very difficult to replace her and we weren't really sure how we were going to do it so we didn't do it for a long time we had people filling in who were all excellent um, and any one of them could have done the job. But uh, when Owain came along to do his little, he, he, he filled in a bit, but then he had to do a, 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 an audition as well with, with me and Rog one weekend. And we both just went, yes, he is the one, isn't he? Because he brought something really special and he just, yeah, he just fitted, he just fitted in with our madness. And yeah, he's, he's brilliant. And he was just the right fit. And I think Diane would go, yeah, well done. That's, that, that's yeah. the right one. And also he had to be very different from Diane. Yeah. You know, we had to have something that wasn't, couldn't be compared because that wouldn't be fair to whoever took over to mm -hmm. always be compared to Di. So yeah, he, he, he's certainly different to Diane. And his dress sense is impeccable. All those suits and everything. Um, so take us back to when you realised you wanted to become 
broadcast journalist, a presenter, had you always wanted to do it? Yes, yeah, I had really from being quite young. I did work experience when I was 14 or 15 in, a, in my local newspaper. And so I just loved it. I didn't, I think I did one, I did one story for them. I did a story, it was my first story in print and it was about um, the, the reopening of a canal near my house. So I had to pick something, they told me to pick something that was, you know, close to me or whatever. So it was, they were doing, they were reopening this canal that had been closed for decades. And um, so that was my first story in print, my first byline, I was very proud of that. And then I just, yeah, I just wanted to do it. My dad worked in television. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that had any influence on me. I really don't. I mean, he worked, he made documentaries. Um, he had a very, I mean, much more exciting life than me. He went all around the world making fantastic documentaries. Um, but he, or, and I always used to say, well, I want to read the news. And he was like, well, you can't just read the news. You have to be a journalist and you should train on newspapers. And I didn't really want to, but he was absolutely right. So I did and, and started in, in newspapers at the Stockport Express and, um, and then radio and then telly, uh, which I think is a, is a good way of doing it. But I know not people don't tend to do it go that route anymore but there weren't really the the same sort of courses degree courses and things around then that there are now um so I did it slightly harder way <laughs> no not harder way that's I don't mean that but the longer way shall we say yeah. the longer way um uh but I, it gave me a good grounding you know I, I had to, I, I had to do everything from court reporting to local council reporting to all that sort of thing so yeah it gives you it gives you a really good grounding but yeah I did I always knew I wanted to do it and then obviously eventually did get to read the news so that was that was the ultimate thing and I got to do it. So how did you sort of get in at the BBC or get did you have to audition to present Northwest Tonight was that sort of your focus sort of where you wanted to end up or how did that come about? Uh, well I was working at ITV um, at the time in the Midlands and I was my husband was already back here back here because he's from um, Manchester so he was already had a job here so we knew we wanted to move back and I was also heavily pregnant so it felt like I really ought to try and get a job over here um, so I amazingly it was sheer coincidence that one of my colleagues spotted a job in the Guardian saying um advertising a job at BBC Northwest so I went along uh, to the board the BBC board heavily pregnant uh, but thankfully my the editor at the time could see beyond that and um, they gave me the job and the job then was to be late presenter and producer so I did that uh, for I don't know I can't remember how many years now quite a few years and then started to do the politics present the politics show on a Sunday um, and then my lovely friend, Rambir Singh, who we all know from Strictly now, she uh, left. And so I was always filling in for her and then she left. So I thought, I was a bit in two minds. I thought, well, I actually quite like my life. <clears throat> I like just doing the late presenting and the politics show. I'm not sure that I really want to work every night and I've got two very small children. So, but anyway, you have to go for these things sometimes, don't you? And put yourself out there. So I did. And um, to, to be fair to the BBC, they did look at, try to find anybody else. I always say they tried to find anyone else to do it. It's probably not quite fair. Um, but they did audition a lot of other women to co-present um, with Roger. Because by this point, Gordon Burns had left and Roger had taken over. 
anyway, in the end, they did give me the job. So that was brilliant. And um, Rog and I just hit it off straight away. We were just straight away. We uh, He took me for a coffee on the day I got the job and he was like, I didn't want anyone else to get it. I'm so pleased it was you. And um, yeah, we just loved it. Absolutely loved presenting together. It was um, just fantastic. And, you know, we've done, we've did we did done so much really in in the nine years that we presented together you know from awful stories like the arena bomb and the hillsborough inquests and um dale cregan and all those terrible terrible stories and of course the death of diane uh but we've done hilarious stuff as well and we've had some great laughs um him doing gangnam style live <laughs> on the program springs to mind <laughs> i think i would be the one that would roll my eyes at him while he did something daft but no we were a good team and yeah sadly we're not we're not gonna be able to present together anymore which is really sad i mean we're, we're so cut it up cut up about it but um yeah. i was gonna ask going. about that so um i'd read i can't remember i can't remember when it was but that obviously the BBC were making cuts so local or regional news would just have one presenter mm. um and then I remember sort of seeing on Twitter like well which one is it Roger is it Annabelle is is mm. one going to be going like what's going to happen and that there were petitions to keep you together because like you said you're a really good team um and then I didn't realize if it was then sort of COVID that was meaning that the two of you couldn't be in the in the studios together. So sort of what is what is happening there, if you can say? Yeah, so it I think the last time we presented together was almost exactly a year ago. Um uh, I I was on my way to uh the trial of Hashem Abadi, um, the brother of the um arena bomber. And um I was on my way to go live outside the arena and um, my editor rang me and said after today you can't come back into the office this week because of covid you know we need to have you separate on the sofa now so we were like okay all right well we get that so um so we did just do alternate nights and so on uh but yes unfortunately you're right um in july uh second of july uh yeah they announced that they only would allow one presenter so some regions across England have only one presenter already, some have two, but they wanted just one. It was, yeah, it was part of the cuts. The BBC have had to make really difficult decisions. They've had to lose, you know, but save a lot of money, uh, which has been well documented. And that was one of the, uh, the suggestions put forward. Uh, it wasn't the greatest 24 hours for me, I have to say, because, um, yeah, I got the call that this was happening the day after my dad died. So my dad, I was down with my family in Hampshire and I got the call that um, from my boss that they were going to do this. So it did feel a little bit like I'd driven down to Hampshire with a dad and a job and driven back without either, but that's a bit traumatic. Um, but yeah, it was, it was bad timing, shall we say. So yeah, so we, we basically had, as you said, there were petitions. There was, it was lovely. It was so lovely. I have to say the public have been just, brilliant and just so supportive um but you know it's one of those things and unfortunately I said the BBC have to save money um I should say right now I hope neither of us are actually leaving um that's it's a basically it's been a very long and arduous process this it's been going on since 2nd of July 
Um, so we're coming up to almost what is that nine months of it, but um, it's still a bit ongoing. So I, I can't really say exactly what's happening, um, but hopefully you will see us both still on Northwest tonight. That that's the plan anyway, but well, not together. I know. Let's let's hope so. In a way, though, it's it's sad that you didn't know your last time presenting together was the last time as well. And mm. oh, that is sad. I know. I think we would have made more of a fuss if we'd known. <laughs> yeah. We sort of fudged it a bit at Christmas. We did get to do. We did the Christmas program together outside um, Media City. Um, so we were sort of together then, but obviously quite far apart. So yeah, maybe that was the last one. Oh, uh, it is sad, I know. <laughs> but you know, a lot of worse things have happened and we can't, you know, like I say, you know, obviously losing a parent's worse. So, but yeah. it was just the combination of the two, I think at the same time, yeah. made it really tricky. Um, but I yeah, it, lots of worse things have happened to people. People have lost their jobs completely. Um, I think, you know, but just from a personal point of view, I'm, you know, I know Roger and I, and the newsroom actually, are really sad that we're doing it, but it'll, it'll all be fine. It'll all carry on. Uh, you know, we're, we've got a great team. We all work together and the programme will carry on. The programme will be as good as ever. Mm. You know, two people or one person or whatever do not make a programme. We are a, a massive team. And so it will go on to be as, as good as ever. I know it will. Yeah, and I guess it's tough and sort of the BBC and companies have, to, like, they have to make cuts and they have to do things and it's just yeah. a shame that it is what it is. Um, yeah, with the news, and I, I don't know if you can comment on this or not, but with the news that um, the Director General made last week about more um, BBC departments moving from London, you know, trying, Birmingham, more in the media city. Do you think that's sort of quite opportunistic for people in the North potentially and to help media city become more of a, a news place, moving a bit away from London centric? Well, I hope so. I mean, a lot and a lot of thinking of going to Leeds as well. That was the other ah, yeah. Um, big hub. Yeah. Um, I hope so obviously media city when it opened in 2011 that that was the plan you know as well to make it less london centric and i think this is just the next stage of that really uh you know if you can get obviously it's great for for people that like yourself that want to get into the media but don't want to have to live in london and don't want to have to because uh, it's so expensive, isn't it? I mean, it's ludicrously, ludicrously expensive to live in London. So it does open up enormous opportunities, or at least I hope it does. I hope it will do. It must do. I mean, if you think of what's come up here so far with, with BBC Breakfast and all of sport and, and all of children's, and yes, a lot of people came up from London, but a lot of people chose not to. And you can understand that as well, you know, uprooting their lives and that. But so I hope it does. Yeah, I think that's the idea anyway, certainly to... To, to yeah make perhaps make it more relatable as well make the BBC more relatable to people that don't know about London don't care about London I hope the BBC does that anyway and, and I think that's why regional television is so valuable because and local radio because without that is we're already doing that yeah and and I love to say this and so does Roger we are the most the regional 630 program is the most watched thing on BBC on any one evening so in your in the northwest, 
more people watch Northwest tonight than watch EastEnders or watch, I don't know, another programme. So we, we are that, I think that's why the BBC has to cherish and has to look after regional programming and local programming because we are at the heart of the BBC and we, we are everything really. And if you don't have us, then you're not doing, you're not committing to what we should be. We're not reaching audiences that you should try and reach. Regional television obviously has a responsibility to reach audiences within their region as well. And we are trying harder to do that all the time. Um, trying to reach audiences that wouldn't usually watch us because we do have a, we have a, an audience, a very loyal audience, but they are perhaps older. Um, we're not chasing youth, but you have to try and attract a more diverse and younger audience all the time. So we have to look whenever, our, whatever we're doing and our programming, and we have to reflect that. And so I suppose the BBC doing this is a good thing. It's got to be a good thing, hasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I didn't even realise, I, I remember in a lecture when we were looking at sort of the, um, the stats and the age is of most programmes that are watched. And like I watch Northwest Tonight like religiously. Well um, done. <laughs> thank you. And, and, and my lecturer's like, you're quite young. And I'm thinking, I think it's really good. And I think like, I think it's a good young audience. Like it's not, you know, so I was, I was I was quite shocked at that as well um but yeah <laughs> so you've also worked in radio haven't you um yeah a long time ago and, and so I didn't I, I didn't do um I was a reporter and and read the news so I never actually worked a desk or anything like that I'd love to I'd love to have my own radio show but uh yeah maybe that's the next thing I should do is do my do a radio show <laughs> that'd be good yeah, I could see that. Yeah, definitely. Um, did you always prefer TV, um, or the way it's the way it's aired, or um, the way the news is presented on TV? Like, it's obviously very different radio to TV. Um, do you yeah. One or the other? I mean, as a as a reporter, it is different. It's but the difference is pictures. That's really the main difference. It's pictures. So radio you have to paint a picture and you have to be very I think sometimes they're so talented our radio reporters paint a picture um whereas tv you've got the pictures uh so you write to the pictures uh you you know you have to think first pictures and then what you're writing as well but um it can be difficult sometimes because sometimes you don't really have the pictures and that has been a problem during lockdown because we've not been going out as much it's a bit like oh my goodness what are we actually filling this with but um I, yeah, I, it's hard to say whether I do probably prefer telly, but like I said, it, it's been a while since I worked in radio and I was in a much different place in my career. I was very much younger and inexperienced. So um, I've got more out of working on telly. Yeah. And yeah, so I, it, I would say television, definitely for me, but never say never. Like I said, I, you know, I love radio and you don't have to get hair and makeup done and look yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. And you've had to do, do you always do your own makeup for the telly? Because I, I know like when I've seen Dan Walker's Instagram, he's had to do his own makeup now because of the pandemic. Is that something that's changed as well? Yeah. So we are quite lucky because we work at Media City. We are in the same building as Sport and Breakfast. So we have had since 2012 hair and makeup done for us. That doesn't happen in every region and it's never happens in any other 
newsroom I've worked in, you've always done your own hair and makeup. And I did up until 2012. But when we moved to Media City, they were already there because breakfast and sport had hair and makeup. So we jumped on their bandwagon and got it done as well. But obviously the COVID, they've not been able to come in. And it's really sad. I mean, they are, are a couple of them, I'll give my name drop, Danny and um, Laura are, you know, some of my best mates, they're so lovely and they've not been able to come in and, and work. It's been really tough. Um, oh, and Liz too, let me forget Liz. And they, you know, you become really friendly with them because every day you go down at five o'clock and sit and chat while they do your hair and makeup. And it's an absolute luxury. It really is. I, God, never thought I'd, I'd ever get hair and makeup done in regional telly. So it's wonderful. But yes, since since COVID, they have not been coming in. So we've had to all do our own hair and makeup. So yeah, Dan Walker, Louise, Naga, all been doing our own. And I think on network, uh, I think on um, re, uh, network news as well, I suspect, you know, Sophie Rayworth and all those are still doing their own. Yeah. Um, there have been times when I think you can probably tell that we've been doing our own <laughs> as your hair, our hair gets longer and more disheveled. <laughs> it becomes harder and harder to to um, make it look good without some professional help. But um, sitting there day, you know, day after day after day, seeing how um, the makeup artist did, did my makeup, I kind of picked up a few tips. So I, I hope it's not been too bad. But um, yeah, we miss them. We miss them yeah. because they're they're so skilled at what they do. But uh, yeah, and I, I should say we, as far as clothing, because people always ask me about clothing, mm. we do buy all our own clothes. So getting hair and makeup was an absolute luxury because we've never had that before. But we have always bought our own clothes. It's a BBC policy across the board because we're paid for by you and me, you know, from the license fee payers. Um, we buy all our own stuff. So you get very, very clever at finding cheap stuff that looks okay on camera because you have to wear quite a lot of different clothes so yeah we've always bought our own clothes yeah and when you got the job on northwest tonight was there a moment you can remember sort of vividly the first time you sort of sat on the red sofa or the first time the gallery were in your ear like 10 seconds and then you were on air do you remember that the first time um I I don't if I'm honest I remember the the uh the screen test I had to do for Northwest tonight I do remember that quite clearly and I had to read a bulletin and the director in my ear was really nice and he was really calm and he was saying don't worry don't worry don't worry so I did it all and when we came off he went I think you've got the job. And I said, why is that? And he said, because you were the only person that could pronounce that footballer's name correctly <laughs> in all the other screen tests. <laughs> it was probably, I don't know, it was probably a, a United player or something that my husband liked. So that's probably how I knew it. I can't remember who it was now. But um, yeah, I remember that. I don't I don't remember the first time I presented for Northwest tonight, if I'm honest, um, because also I presented for years anyway at ITV. Yeah. So it wasn't like it was my first time ever presenting. Um, yeah, I, I do like presenting on that sofa more because we used to at Oxford Road, which you won't remember, but Oxford Road was where we were before Media City. I think and I, did, we had... I did a, a studio tour of that. Okay. That place when I was when I was younger. I don't think I watched it then, but I think because I was showing interest, mum and dad took me and right. walked past Gordon, who I, 
I didn't know who he was. Um, oh. Walked past him and then the other people on the tour were like, oh my gosh, hello. Um, legend that is Gordon Burns. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he is a legend. He's still a legend. I remember going at Oxford Road. I was quite new and um, we had some, he'd got some tickets, uh, I think press tickets, well, they were press tickets for um, a show at the Palace Theatre down the road. And um, I think Ramveer couldn't go, who was his co-presenter at the time. So he just said, do you, want, do you want to come? And I said, oh yes, that'd be great. And I was really thrilled. And honestly, walking down Oxford Road from the studios to the Palace Theatre, people were, I'm no exaggeration, people were leaning out of their cars going, Gordon, you're a legend. <laughs> and, you know, women in the theatre were literally gasping as he walked past. So he's an absolute legend, but he's, he's the loveliest man and he's a great friend of mine. And um, he's, yeah, he's brilliant. He's still, you know, he's still working. He's, and um, I think he's, fa he's found this lockdown hard because he can't see his grandchildren, but um, yeah, he's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. But Oxford Road was, um, I don't know when you would have gone, but I suspect quite near the end of its days. And it was a, it was a bit, um, of a mess by then. <laughs> it was a bit old and tatty, but we did love it. It had real character and a bit of history there. So we did love Oxford Road. But then when we came to Media City and everything was new and glitzy and, and we had the big red sofa that was the same as breakfast sofa, it did feel quite special. And you'd walk around Media City and you might see somebody that's quite famous. Yeah. So yeah, it was, all, it was very exciting uh, being at Media City at the beginning, definitely. And in terms of stories you've you've produced or interviewed people, is there like a top person you've interviewed or most famous or maybe yeah. not, not someone famous? Maybe just no, 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 without a doubt. Yeah, Sting. Sting from the police. Well, he's just Sting now, isn't he? I don't need to say from the police. Yeah, I got to interview him. Um, and I remember I was on air and my news editor messaged me on my computer and just said, I've got the opportunity to say yes to an interview with Sting. Do you want to do it? And I was like, yes, yes, please, yes, please. So I went to interview him. He was here promoting a musical that he'd written and he was doing a very select performance in Liverpool and, uh, and only a couple of people were interviewing him and I was one of them. And I got there late, which was really embarrassing. I don't know why anyway, but I was late. It was raining, so I was a bit bedraggled and he was performing when I walked in. Um, but he was just lovely and uh, we had a sit down interview afterwards and I confessed to him this really shameful story that um, the police obviously massive in the 80s but then they reformed very temporarily and I, I can't remember the year maybe 2003 something like that to do another load of performances and this was because I was too young to go and see them when they were around really so I was so excited and my husband bought me tickets and we were just like it was just the most exciting thing. The tickets cost quite a lot of money. I'd been working on um, that day. So I arrived at the bar that we were all meeting in beforehand later than everybody else. So they'd all been there all afternoon. So I felt I had to catch up. So I did drink quite a lot of white wine rather too quickly with nothing to eat. And eventually we got to the Manchester Arena or MEN as it was then. And yeah, I was just... I had to go I had to leave I think I got to hear them play walking on the moon but don't really remember it because I'd had too much to drink and yeah my husband just had to take me home and that was my biggest regret 
And I actually couldn't listen to police songs for years after that because I was so upset that I'd missed the concert. So when I met him, I told him this story. I don't know what made me do it, but he, he thought it was very funny. And then I said to him, so I don't suppose you'd sing Roxanne for me, would you? And he said, no, 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 I can't. It's the, the key's too high now. I wouldn't be able to get there. But instead he sang Annabelle to the music of Roxanne, <laughs> which is, was just the best moment of my life. <laughs> Oh, that's I hope so your I hope your listeners even know who Sting is, but they will do, won't they? They're not that young. They will. They will. <laughs> um, and you said you did you do the politics show. What's that like? Because obviously, as well, what I'm learning as a journalist is you to be neutral, especially for the BBC, sort of neutral, impartial, sort of give the facts and then let the in the viewers and the listeners decide what side they want to take. Mm-hmm. So with with politics, how is that? How is presenting? and doing that because obviously inevitably people are very on their sides and passionate about their beliefs yeah well I don't present it now um this was I I did that before I got the job at the main job at Northwest Night so I I haven't done it for a, a good few years now but obviously we do political interviews all the time so um as you know as the presenters we have to interview the prime minister and and so on um and well, it's not hard, really. It's not hard. You have to be you have to be impartial. It's just part of being a journalist and particularly being a journalist at the BBC. Um, that is a big part of the BBC is impartiality. And Tim Davey, the, the new DG, is very hot on that. Um, you know, they, they, we have to we have to make sure that everything we do isn't is going to be impartial. So yes you can have your own thoughts and opinions and you have to because you're a human being of course you have to have your own and you will have your own thoughts and opinions but the the trick is to not bring that into your interview that's not to say you don't give an opposite opinion when you're interviewing that politician Mm -hmm. that is also your job to do and that is the one thing that actually a lot of people get really riled up about say we do an interview I do an interview with let's just say Boris Johnson and you have a bit of a go at them I mean it's quite hard to with Boris Johnson so he's probably not a very good example because he talks a lot but just say a, a conservative politician they're in power and you're interviewing a conservative politician you it is your job to give the other side of, of their arguments now a lot of time viewers don't like that and they say that you're being rude and you're interrupting too much now you do have to be careful not to interrupt too much but sometimes politicians just talk and talk and talk and talk until your time is gone and that is no good because all you're they're doing then is a political party broadcast and that's not interesting that's fine if you want to hear their party broadcast then listen to that but if you want to hear an interview and you want to hear both sides of it and you want to hear their answer to that argument you have to put that argument to them it doesn't mean that's the argument you necessarily agree with Mm. it's just that you're being devil's advocate that is your job and most I think people do get that but sometimes it does upset people and they think you're being rude you know there is a fine balance you don't want to constantly be interrupting them because you've got to let them have their say but if they're saying something that fundamentally you know needs challenging then you've got to challenge them otherwise you're not doing your job then either so it's a fine balance but I think generally I would like to think that we're always impartial I hope I think what you do is the best way of telling is after you've done a big interview, you get loads of people slagging you off and loads of people saying, well done. And then, you know, you've done it right because you've ticked both boxes. Yeah. Yeah. I guess you've not to be too sensitive in a way. I guess you've got to kind of build up um, 
bit of a barrier for like the negative opinions as well because I, I can imagine yeah. it's quite hard yeah. that is quite hard it's it's never easy actually I, I don't mind people saying I didn't you know I don't agree with what you're saying or I think you were rude or I think when they accuse you of doing something factually wrong mm. then and I know I'm not then I might I will probably reply to them or if there's something that I they seem really upset about something you've done then I'll, I'll reply to them because but I think if somebody's just being downright rude then you, the best thing is just to ignore it really the Gordon actually going back to Gordon his advice was always he never read any emails um now I know I know that's not true now about Twitter he's a big he's a big uh, Twitter fan so I know he, he reads things a lot on Twitter but when it was only really email was the only way people could contact us he used to just say oh I don't, I just don't, I don't bother because you, you you're going to get good you're going to get bad so why you know if you're not going to get obsessed with, their, with their, everything good they say about you don't get obsessed about everything bad they say about you but uh, uh yeah it can sometimes it can hurt a little bit if they're very rude I think the best one I had was <laughs> sorry I'm going off a bit but was a woman who emailed twice during one program to complain about my dress and it was just a plain pale blue dress but she complained that it was really cheap looking and that the network presenters would not um, <laughs> would not wear anything quite so cheap, but she did email twice. And I just had to reply to her and say, look, you know, I have to pay for my own clothes. It actually wasn't even that cheap. Most of my stuff is, but it actually wasn't. And, you know, we don't get paid the same as the network presenters. So if they look a bit more clam, that's probably because they get paid a bit more than we do. And then it's amazingly when, when you do reply to people that have been really rude, and then you reply back politely, they hardly ever respond again they just go yeah. quiet mm. <laughs> um i just wanted to end on a question which maybe you've sort of touched on a bit there in terms of the criticism you may get but um i wanted to ask what the hardest part about being a journalist is or being a presenter is it someone in your ear um saying like you've got 30 seconds left on this interview or and the auto cue or is it finding the stories just maybe what you think is the the trickiest part of the job yeah the the people talking in your ear that's just something you get used to it's just part of the job and you there's always a lot of chatter going on in the gallery and you block it out and you only can hit you listen to what you need to hear which is the count mm -hmm. um the auto cue we now do all we do our own auto cue we never used to but part of cuts we do our own auto cue now um so yeah we do quite a lot more ourselves than we used to but um we don't anyway that's by the by um the hardest thing is is probably just the hard the hard stories the really tough stories that we have to do and you know there's been a few of those i've got to say over the last nine years we've really really i've mentioned them before but you know the arena that mm -hmm. was that was really hard and that night after the bombing and i'd worked all that night through through the night of the, the 22nd of May. And then we did a live program from Albert Square where there was the big vigil. Mm. So I was very tired as well. But yeah, I remember after we came off air and, and me and, and one of the producers, we just both burst into tears. And I think it was a it was a it was everything all coming together. And um there were so many people in the crowd and everyone felt like one. We were all kind of comforting each other. It was a and then that went on for the whole week because then we presented from St Anne's Square and yeah. it, it was the most astonishing thing really how not just Manchester but the whole region came together for that and you know just everybody the police were there and they were very you know just 
again comforting people and there were people giving out free food and water it was just it was quite an incredible time and you know just the the thought of what had happened it was it was so hard and and then going forward I mean just the whole I interviewed little Safi's parents mm. and you just look at the pictures and the videos of Safi and it's stories like that you just think we're very privileged to be able to do them but at the same time you've, you can't cry on air so it's very difficult because you're only human and you do feel it like everybody else yeah. and um yeah and then Diane is 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 the other one that really sticks in my head and I'm afraid I did cry on air then but I think people will forgive us for that um so it's it's keeping your emotions in sometimes that can be the hardest thing if you get something that's really really tough and you know this whole period during Covid has been extremely tough and from a personal point of view you know my dad died in a care home and I hadn't seen him for seven months so to do stories about people who aren't seeing their relatives in care homes it's, it's really hard to, to do it, but you sort of do. I know it sounds a bit callous, but you do. You kind of just separate the two things and then you can go home and have a glass of wine. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Well, I've really enjoyed chatting to you today. Um, Lovely. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week. To keep up to date with all things from a Lancashire Lass, follow on Facebook and Instagram at from a Lancashire Lass.